Uh, you may or may not know this uh, about me. Uh, I know a lot of you do, but my wife, uh, Joanna, is a physician. Uh, she has been a doctor for going on 17 years now. And there was this thing that used to happen when she first got out of med school. It happened quite a bit, actually. Um, you know, normal conversations. I'd be standing by her side and we'd be talking to somebody like at a party or social setting or something. And I'd say, what do you do? And you'd go through that and Joanna would say, well, I'm a physician. And uh, people would look right at her and they'd go, oh, you're a nurse. And she'd go, uh, no, I'm, I'm a pediatrician. Uh, and they'd go, oh, okay, well, what kind of nurse are you? And she'd go, no, uh, you know, she would very, if you know my wife, she's very meek and mild and she doesn't get worked up. She'd go, well, no, I, you know, I went to medical school and I went to that. And then they go, oh, so, so like a physician's assistant. And finally she'd just kind of give up and walk, you know, change the subject or go away or whatever it was. Or, or we would get mail, uh, particularly when we were first married, we got mail all the time that would be addressed to Dr. Jonathan Morris and Joanna. And I would take it in and show it to her and be like, did you see? I'm a doctor now. Like I've somehow got a doctorate that I didn't work on or spend any time on. And I'd kind of give her a hard time about it. But what was happening in all those places, even, even the person addressing that thing or sending it to you, there was an assumption. There was an assumption about what you could be or people had biases in their background or different things. I mean, Joanna would say to someone, well, I'm a doctor and they would not hear that at all. Part of that, I, to, to her credit, uh, she wouldn't, she'll be embarrassed that I'd say this, but part of it is because Joanna looked so young. And so particularly when she first got out of med school, people would think she was a kid. So that was part of it. But part of it is because she's a female and people would, in their biases, they would go right past that and go, oh, well, you can't be a doctor. That can't, that can't be right. And so sometimes there's biases kind of in the background where we grow up, what we're around, that almost short circuit us seeing the thing that's right in front of us. It's like it doesn't compute. It's like we, make, we can't make the connection that's there. And that's what was happening a lot of times in these conversations with my wife. She would tell people that. And they just couldn't put that together. The truth is we do that with a whole lot of things. Because of our culture, because of where we grow up, because of the things that we're around, there's biases that lead to blind spots. And often they're cultural, but that happens quite a bit. There's things that we, we have trouble seeing. It happens with our faith. It happens with the way we read the Bible. There's things that the scripture says very clearly, very distinctly, in black and white, right in front of us, very little ambiguity at all, right there in front of us, and we read right past it. And part of that is because we have these biases that kind of blind us to different issues. And so today, what we're going to look at, I'm going to the end of Galatians 5 and the beginning of Galatians chapter 6, is what I think is one of those issues. And we miss it often in our faith. We miss it in our culture today. And I would say to you, it's detrimental to our growth as we seek to follow Jesus. And so today is the second of two sermons that I'm just doing right at the beginning of the year. Next week, we're going back to our series of, of Jesus's life. And so we'll pick up in his third year. We're going to start that next, next week. But I wanted to do these two sermons at the beginning of this year as we think about new year, new resolutions, things that we're seeking to do that I just see are so important to our personal growth and how we continue to walk with the Lord. And so today what I'm going to talk about and what I think that we miss a lot of times is the importance of community, being part of a local church, and not just on a Sunday morning, but actually giving our lives to one another and how important that is in growing up into what Jesus has called us to be. And so I'm going to make this statement here right at the beginning, and I want you to really think about this. 
I may step on your toes a little bit, but please hear me out as we go through and we look at what Scripture says here together. But I believe that you cannot be fully obedient to Jesus in isolation. That you cannot be fully obedient to Jesus in isolation in your life. If you're not giving yourself to others and seeking to walk out your faith together, you're missing a huge part of what God calls you to. And the reason I say you cannot be fully obedient to Jesus without doing that is because Jesus commands us to do that. And so if we don't do that, then we're missing this piece that Jesus has clearly told us to do. And so I want us to think about that together and the importance of giving ourselves to one another and and caring for each other and walking together and encouraging each other. Uh, It's going to tell us right here in our passage this morning that we're looking at that so fulfill, uh, it says to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That bearing one another's burdens and walking together and caring for each other, Paul says that fulfills the law of Christ. That's pretty important. If he's saying that, that's the big picture of what it means to follow Jesus, is bearing one another's burdens. That's a big part of it. If we miss that, we're missing a huge part of what Jesus calls us to. And so this morning, I want us to look at this text in Galatians. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to skip over a big section of it. And I'll tell you why in a second. Because I'm trying to narrow our focus, we're going to look at verses 13, 14, and 15 of chapter 5. And then in chapter 6, really 1 through 5. And so I'm, I'm skipping over a big section there about what it says about walking in the Spirit. And that's not because that's unimportant. (laughs) That's really important. And in fact, that goes perfectly with what we talked about last week. If you were here with us last week, we looked at Romans chapter 6. And I talked about the importance in Romans chapter 6 of submitting your members, your body to righteousness and what that looks like. And if you want to get an idea of what it looks like, because Paul compares in Romans 6, either submitting your body to righteousness or to unrighteousness. And we talked about putting on those things and and walking in that. If you want to get a good idea of what that looks like and what he's pointing you to, it's right there in Galatians 5, 16 to 26. It tells you what it looks like to walk in the spirit. And it tells you what it looks like when you're not. It tells you what it looks like when you're submitting your body to righteousness, as he talked about last week. And so that's really important. I'm not saying it's unimportant, but I want to narrow our focus a little bit today. And so that's why, if you see that I'm not spending a lot of time in there, that's why. But here's how I want us to look at those verses we are going to look at. First, there's a couple critical errors we, met, we, we uh, often embrace that lead us to miss what the point is today. Of calling us to community and what it looks like. And so I want us to think about what those are. Helping expose those kind of brings that out in the light, helps us to see it better. Secondly, I want us to consider the truth that it tells us here that helps us set, it, set us aright in that. And there's some really important things that he says here. And then lastly, what practical difference does that make in your life? All right, so the errors that blind us to us, the truth that kind of exposes and brings us back to the truth and and sets us aright, and then lastly, why that's so important. So let's just start with the critical errors that lead us away from this. Two things I want us to think about, two ways to think about it, I should say. One is cultural. One is what we're we're inundated with every day in where we live and the culture that we, we've, we've come up in. The second one is more experiential. And I'll, I'll explain that in a second. But let's start with the cultural first. We're jumping into the book of Galatians. Galatians is a letter that the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Galatia. And they're struggling with some different things. If we kind of simplify big picture of, the, of this book and what he's talking about. Paul had planted this church. He had left. They were doing pretty well. Then some other people came in and said, you have to become Jewish You have to adopt the culture and you have to do some other things. You can't just have your faith in Jesus. 
You need to be circumcised. You need to follow the law. You need to do all these things that they did in the Old Testament. And Paul writes this letter to say, no, you don't. That's not true. It's not Jesus plus a bunch of other things. It's Jesus. It's Christ alone, by faith alone, through grace alone, and what Jesus has done and nothing else. And he says, don't go back to that. Don't start to put all these other things on top of it. And so that's really the main point of what he's saying. And he's just really hammering home in Galatians. And he gets to chapter five, though, and he says that you're free from those things. You have this freedom that is now in Christ. But don't go uh, back or in this freedom. Don't take that freedom and then use it for bad things. You understand what he's saying? Like you're saved by grace through faith. And it's all what Jesus has done. And so he says there at the beginning of chapter 5 and verse 1, for, for freedom, Christ has set you free. So stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. He's like, don't put all these other things on you and act as if they're going to save you. They're not. It's Jesus alone. But then he's going to say at the beginning of our text here today in chapter 5 and verse 13, look at what he says there. For you were called the freedom brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And so he says, you have this freedom in Jesus, but don't take that and then distort it to do things that actually go against who you now are in Jesus. And that's real easy for us to do at different times. It's real easy for us to slide into that kind of thinking. And so I want you to really think about what he's saying here. He says, don't use it as an opportunity for your flesh. I talked about this last week in Romans chapter 6, the idea of flesh versus the spirit, the flesh being who you now are in Jesus. You've been awakened when you put your faith in Christ. The Holy Spirit comes into your life. You're a new creation. You're seeing things in a way you haven't seen them before. And so we'd say that when you become a believer, you start to walk in the spirit. The flesh is your sinfulness that ignores God right? He actually defines it for you right here in verse 17. He says, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, right? So what he's saying is like, you're either walking by your flesh or you're walking by your spirit. If you're walking by your flesh, you're ignoring God. You're not walking by the spirit, but when you walk in the Holy spirit, you're beginning to follow and obey and live up into the things of who God is and the way he's called you to live, right? So that makes sense. The difference between your flesh and your spirit Well, he tells us here, don't in this freedom that you have now, use it as an opportunity for your flesh. I want you to think about how easy that is to do that. Where we start to kind of make excuses of why we can do certain things that are the opposite of what God says, right? We we can begin to use the freedom that we have in Jesus. I'm saved by grace through faith. It's not my works. So it doesn't really matter that much what I do. That's our flesh starting to sneak in there. I had a roommate in college that grew up in the church. Uh, I don't think Gabe was a, a believer, but he used to lay in his bed at night. Uh, you know, he had a dorm room, his bed's over there, and he, he would tell me, like he would start to confess all these things that he had done. And he was a mess. You don't want to know, but he was doing a lot of things he should not have been doing. And then he would end with, well, it's a good thing once saved, always saved. Good night, <laughs> go to sleep. <laughs> and that was like, what he was doing is he was distorting God's word and the truth that we're saved by grace through faith and what Christ has done and then using it as a way to do whatever he wanted. And that's how we are. That's the way our flesh is. It can be very deceptive in our lives and we can start to slip into that sort of thinking. And so even though you become a new creation, right? We were talking about this last week. You're a new creation in Christ. 
and you're walking in the spirit, you're still in this body of flesh and you're still in a fallen world. And it's still things that can pull you back into that way of thinking, right? That's why there's all these, these warnings of don't go back to that. That's why Paul's saying in Romans six, don't go back to that old way. Submit your body as instruments of righteousness. This is who you now are. But it's so easy for us to slip into that because our heart is deceitful. And so what ends up happening is the deceitfulness of our heart combined with the fallenness of where we live leads us into error. And so I want you to think about the culture that we live in and how that does that. I've been saying this for 14 years since I very first started preaching at Church of the Apostles. And I think it's just as true today as it was the first time I said it. I've said this over and over, but we live in America right? 2023, where we are today, we live in the most individualistic society in the history of the world. Bar none. That's a fact, right? We, we are inundated with this idea that it's all about me and what I want and me individually. We just think that way. We think that way in everything. And it's so ingrained in us. It appeals to our flesh And we see it in our culture. It's so easy for us to miss the clear commands of scripture about community. We're so in it. It's hard for us to break out of that. It's, it's the water that we're swimming in, right? So the fish don't know that they're in the water because they're so in it all the time. That's us with this individualism and it's so ingrained in everywhere we go. And so what ends up happening is we talk about a personal relationship with Jesus, which is true. If you look here in in chapter six and in verse four and five, he talks about testing your own work and you're going to give an account. And he he is pointing to there there is a very true that is absolutely biblically true. You are going to stand before God and give an account for yourself. And so there is an individual piece of your salvation and the way that you relate to God and who Jesus is in your life. But what happens in our very individualistic culture is that becomes everything. It's you and Jesus. Jesus. It's your personal relationship and you invite them into your heart and it's this private thing that's about the two of you together and nobody else. But then there's all these passages that tell us that when we get saved, we get saved into a family of faith and we're now called to live and care for one another and bear one another's burdens and restore each other in a spirit of gentleness and all the things that he says here. And sometimes we just read right past those because we're so ingrained in this. We're so in this individualistic culture. If you were with us uh, in November, we did three weeks. It's called it the State of Theology, where we looked at some, some poll questions that Ligonier Ministries had done about what Christians believe today in America. And, and we looked at a couple different big ones, and we talked about how we miss some big things that the Bible says. One of the ones that I didn't bring up and I didn't share with you is about the way in which we see community, being part of a local church, giving ourselves to one another. And so listen to what they, the question they ask. I'm going to give you the way people answered it. But the question was this. Was worship with your family or alone, is it a valid replacement for regular attendance in a church? So worshiping God alone or with your family at home, is that a valid replacement? I'm not talking about one week or one time or extenuating circumstances, but as a regular replacement of being part of a local church. of those that profess to be Christian said yes. 67% say, yeah, I don't need a church. I don't need other people. It can be me and God, or it can be just me and my family, and I don't need anyone else. Next question they asked was just to do with being a member of a church. It says, do I have an obligation to join and be a member of a church? 55% said no. 
And so here's the problem with that. That's not what the Bible says. You got that from our culture. You got that from American culture, not what Scripture says. Not what God calls us to as being uh, members of one another, of caring for each other. This idea that we can do that in isolation is the exact opposite of what Jesus calls us to. And that's a product of our flesh. That's a product of our individualistic culture being so saturated in it that that makes perfect sense to us. But that's not what Scripture says. And so we miss a big piece of this. We make a great big, miss a great big piece of it uh, because of our flesh and our culture kind of in combination together. But then there's another way in which we miss it. And I'd call this more experiential than cultural or those kind of things that I was just talking about. And part of that, I would just say, uh, it's easy for us because of past experiences in our life that it feels safer, uh, it feels easier just to not get connected in deeper ways. And I say safer because it's really hard, uh, or I say easier, it's really hard to be known, to be vulnerable with other people, to let people into your life and know what's going on and to share that with them. That's hard. It's hard to be vulnerable like that. But the command here of what it says is that we are to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bearing one another's burdens means you're bearing my burdens and I'm bearing yours. Which that means you actually have to know what I'm struggling with and I have to know what you're struggling with. And I'm going to be honest with you. That's really difficult. I'm I'm not making light of that. Experientially, you may go, Uh, no thanks. I don't want you to know all the things that I deal with. I don't want to open up and share that with other people because that's really difficult. It's hard to let people in. And and if you feel that way today and you're saying that with, I'm agreeing with you. You're right, it is. That's not easy. It's really difficult. But you know what? The opposite is true too. If you don't open up and you don't share that with anybody else, that's really difficult. And not only is that really difficult, it's dangerous. That's what the Bible says. It's actually really dangerous. And it tells us that right here in this text. It's not only hard, but it's dangerous. Look at what he says in chapter 6 of verse 3. Right? So verse 2, he says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. But then verse 3 says, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Your heart is desperately wicked. It will deceive you. Each one of us sitting here today has blind spots. Each one of us has problems and struggles in our life, and some of them we're not even aware of. Some of them we, we've, we've so kind of twisted in our mind our reasons why that's okay, right? That's what we do. We deceive ourselves, the deceptiveness in our hearts. We continue to kind of go back. We've, we've used our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, We've been really good at explaining away why I can do the things that I do that are in direct contradiction to what God's word says. And I need other people to step into my life and tell me and speak the truth to me and walk with me in those things. Jesus says, what the Bible says, what God tells us is that we're designed to have other people helping walk us out, walk that out together. God saves you. Yes, you have a personal relationship with Jesus, but he saves you into the church. 
right? The church is the body of all believers of all time. And he saves you in to have other people helping you to do this. I say this all the time when people struggle with like membership passages in the Bible. You know what it means to be members of one another? It's to do all the things that he tells us. You know how many passages there are in the New Testament that says one another, love one another, correct one another, restore one another in a spirit of gentleness, bear one another's burdens? 50 plus times it says that. And so I just say that to you. If we're going to be obedient, which, by the way, that's our banner statement as a church. We want to make disciples that make disciples. Growing in obedience to Jesus in every area of our lives. If we're going to be obedient to Jesus, that means that we have to be involved with each other. It's not optional. Or otherwise, we're just going to ignore a huge part of what he tells us to do. And so we're called into that together. But we miss that because it's hard. It's hard to be vulnerable. It's hard to tell those things. And I'll tell you one of the other experiential ways in which we do that. And he warns you of this right here in this text. Is that you let others in and you begin to be vulnerable and you share those things and you get hurt. And I know some of you sitting here today know that really well. That you got involved in a church or you got involved with other believers and you started to confess your sin and you started to share things and somebody hurt you with that. And in your mind, you go, I'm not going back to that. Yeah, 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 that might be what the Bible said, but I tried that and it didn't work. By the way, Paul knows that. God knows that. He says that. He warns you of that right here. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But then what's the next thing he says? But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. I'm telling you to do this, and this is the whole law of Christ, and this is what you're called to do. But by the way, sometimes you get hurt. Why? Because we're sinful, broken people that desperately need Jesus. And I know that's difficult. But that doesn't change the truth of what God says. It doesn't change the truth of what he's calling us to. And so when we look at this text, what is the truth of what God says in his word that helps us correct that mistake, right? Our experiences are really powerful and they can, we can let them end up standing over what the Bible clearly calls us to. But I want you to see how the Bible, what it tells us here, helps explode that. It helps us to see why we can work into what God tells us to and why it's actually better. And so look at what he says here. Verse 13 and 14, one more time. For you were called the freedom brothers, Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then look at what he says in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I want you to notice there what he says in verse 14 and then in verse 2. He's talking about how the whole law is fulfilled and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then in verse 2, he says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. He says there is a summary of what it means to fulfill the law of Christ. So fulfill all of God's law and what he's called us to. We often summarize it this way, right? You take all the, the rules and the laws and the Ten Commandments and what God gave. Love God and love people. It's what you're created for, to love God and to love people, to love others. 
And he says that so fulfills the law of Christ. But I want you to think about why that's the case. Why that is so absolutely vital if we're going to follow Jesus. To bear one another's burdens and to love each other and to do that. Think with me for just a second about the very heart of the gospel. The good news that we proclaim of who God is and what he's done. What's right at the bullseye that Jesus has come to do for us what we've never been able to do for ourselves. He's come to redeem us and to save us, to lay down his life for us, right? I say this every week. We talk about this, we sing it in songs. We say it's, it's the bullseye. It's the thing that we're aiming for. The good news is that God has redeemed us by what he did for us in Jesus. And what Jesus did for us is he took our sin upon himself and he paid for it. And he brought it to nothing. And then he offers us a perfect relationship with the Father. He offers us eternal life through what he does for us. Do you see the connection? When we say bear one another's burdens, we so fulfill the law of Christ. When you lay down your life for others, you're beginning to live with what Jesus is and who he is. Does that make sense? Do you see the connection of how they are so integrally linked together? That we are called to love others in the way that Jesus has loved us? How absurd it is to think that I can take the blessings of what Jesus has given me and it's all about me and Jesus and nobody else? Do you see how that's the exact opposite of everything that Jesus has done for me? I'll tell you this. I walk and go over my sermon. And I do it a couple times or three times or four times, depending on the week. I did it four times this week. And it didn't land on me until the fourth time. When I am tired and I don't want to go. Full disclosure, all the things I'm telling you, I wrestle with too. Right? It's hard to get involved with people. And it's hard to give your life away. And it's hard to care for others in those ways. But God just so clearly said, do you see that that's what I've done for you? And now you get to be part of it by going and loving other people. Do you see the connection? Bear one another's burdens so that you fulfill the law of Christ, that we get to live in the way that Jesus has done for us. And please hear my heart in this. So often, I do this every so often, where I say, hey, this is what it means to be part of a church. And we've got to give ourselves away and we've got to spend time together and we have to be vulnerable and we have to speak the truth and we have to bear one another's burdens. And I get back like, I don't have time for that. Right? I I don't have time. Uh, My schedule's really busy. I'm sorry that sounds great, but I just don't have time to do that. I might step on your toes when I say this, but please hear the heart behind it. You have time to do the things that you most want to do. Always. You always do what you most want to do. You make time for the things that are most important. And what this passage is saying is that you fulfill the law of Christ, the fullness of what God's created for you to be when you bear one another's burdens and you begin to give your life away for those around you. And so you go, well, I don't have time for that. I don't have time for the most important thing that Jesus has called me to in my life. To love other people. To continue to bear one another's burdens and point them to Jesus. Please tell me that's not the case. Please tell me that we have time to do that. But sometimes people will say, 
I don't have time, or they'll go, uh, you know, I tried, and I came to a community group, and I did this, but we didn't really do the Bible study that I wanted to do, and I didn't really get out of it what I wanted, and so it's just not worth my time. And I want you, I understand, I understand that impulse, and we're all busy, and you want it to be worth your time, and to feel that way, and those things, but please think of it this way. I think there's a paradigm shift that would change the way the church operates if we get this. If we truly understand what it's calling us to and what God's saying to us. If you would start to think about giving your time away and being involved with other people to bear one another's burdens, to walk with them, to restore them in a spirit of gentleness, to help them in all the things they're dealing with, is that God has uniquely gifted you in the Holy Spirit for the good of the people around you. And it quit being about, well, what am I going to get out of it? And how do I feel about it? And what I'm going to do? But that God is allowing you through his spirit to go and to help those around you in the same way that Jesus has come and saved us. If you stop thinking about what do I get out of this, but what is God going to use me to help build those up around me? Do you see how differently you would see everything? Instead of it being like, I don't know that I have time to do that and I... I get to do this because of who Jesus is in me and he wants to use me for the good of those around me. And that's what it tells us over and over in scripture. God uniquely gifts you in the spirit for the good of those around you. And he uniquely gifts the other people in our body for you. Isn't that amazing? None of us have all the gifts. We're all missing out if we do it in isolation. That's the way God's designed us, to love God and to love one another. And when we miss that, we miss this huge part of what God has called us to be. And so I want you just to think about what that looks like in your life this year. Last week, I challenged you with what are the things I need to lay down and what are the things I need to pick up? And I think part of that is like community. How am I going to bear one another's burdens where God has placed me? How am I going to get so involved that I'm loving and caring for the people around me and begin to step into that? God's designed you this way. He's made you for this. The fullness of what he's calling you to in your life, this is an integral piece of that. And so I'll end here with just a couple things. I want you to think about what what difference does this make? Hopefully you see why it's important, but what difference does it actually make in your life? And I'd say to you, it's, you're made for this, right? You're made to love God and to love people, to give your life away, to be involved with those around you. God has made you for that. I won't go, that could be its own whole sermon, but we're created in God's image, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. God is perfect community in and of himself. He creates us out of that to experience that joy, to be brought into that. We're made to love one another. Quite literally, it's who we are in Jesus and what he has made us to be. It's right at the very heart of who we are. The second thing I would say to you, though, is as you begin to give your life away, what difference does it make is the gospel becomes richer. It becomes fuller. If I share with you what I'm dealing with and the things I'm struggling with and you remind me of the gospel, I go, oh, yeah. And you're helping me see what is true of me in Jesus and you're walking me within those, walking those things out together. And then the same, you share with me where you're struggling 
and the burdens you're bearing. And I remind you of who Jesus is. And we start to see the fullness of the gospel more clearly together than we do on our own. It's like a beautiful diamond that has all these facets and we miss bits and pieces of it. But when we come together and we begin to speak the truth and we see how God's moving, we see how God answers prayers. You share with me the burdens that you're bearing and we begin to pray for those things and walk for those things together. And then we see God answer them. And Jesus' glory, we see it more fully and more clearly together than we do on our own. And it's a beautiful picture of the way God has designed us to live. And so it's better together than it is on our own. But then lastly, and I'll end here with this, is all of us here have lots of relationships, right? Work, family, your neighbors, your friends. All of us could go around and talk about different people we have. I have lots of friends uh, that are kind of different, varying degrees. I have a lot of friends that are built around sports or playing basketball or working out or doing different things. And those are good friendships. But that's nothing compared to sitting down with others that know and love Jesus and having that time together. We desperately need that connection. Right? If, if Jesus is the God of the universe who created us and redeemed us and brought us back into this relationship with him, he's the most important thing. I want to have friendships where we sit around and just marvel over the glory of who God is and what he's done for us in Jesus. I need that in my life. You need that in your life. We need one another to continue to point each other. We need relationships that are around the most important thing. And Jesus is the most important thing. And so I just say to each of you, thinking about this year ahead, how are you going to live in community? How are you going to begin to fulfill the law of Christ, to do the things that God calls us to? And so I'm going to pray for us. I'll say this again in our in the announcements in a minute. But today when you leave, right outside, Andy's going to be out there with our little map of our missional community groups and where they meet and who's the point person. And he's going to have that there. And we're going to have snacks after church today. Shoot, I'm doing announcements now, right in the middle of the... We're going to have snacks and we're going to have this thing and you can go and he's going to hand you that and he'll point out the different people that are leading those groups and go, hey, you can get involved here or here or here. We want to make that as easy as possible. To have those connections, to be able to start to step in and go, okay, I want to be known. I want to share the gifts that God's given me with those around me and so fulfill the law of Christ in the way he's called us to. So would you pray with me, God, we thank you for the glorious good news of what you've done for us. We thank you that you call us to yourself, that you open our eyes to see you, to see our need for you, to bring us into a relationship with you. But we also thank you that you save us into a family of faith, that you don't leave us on our own, that you give us the wonderful gift of the spirit, but then you bring us in to know and love other people, to continue to encourage one another, to bear each other's burdens. But would you please give us the clear steps of action to be obedient to that call on our lives. I pray that we would seek to follow you in all things and always for your glory. And we pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Mm -hmm.